You know, I struggled trying to figure out how to start this edition of the Hoopball Lakers podcast, a solo ride with Ethan tonight. And I really struggled to try and figure out what the words were, how to articulate it properly in order to sort of describe my emotional state about this team. Now, I've had to digest a few games since we last had the opportunity to connect life circumstances, a consequence of just being busy that I just have not had the opportunity to really delve into my deepest and darkest Lakers emotions at the moment. But finally, as I get a few minutes to sit down, converse with y'all and be here present, talking about a team that at eight and eight and moving forward, hopefully with LeBron James, by the way, has the opportunity to be more than what we have seen. Now, I tweeted, yes, if you're not following the Hoopball Lakers podcast on Twitter, let's change that. You follow us at Hoopball Lakers, of course. And it's usually me tweeting from the account about 99% of the time, I would say. Nothing in this life is 100% after all. But about 99% of the time, it is me. I tweeted after the game that, of course, we were going to have to have a pod after this one. And the short version, the short version is that right now the Lakers have changed the roster. They've dealt with early season injuries. They have no cohesion as a result. They have no chance, no chance to be greater than the sum of its parts. As a team, when you lack those things, continuity and cohesion, both in terms of personnel and the style of play on the court, it's very hard to do that. And I got a lot to say about this game now. You know, Lakers, because I don't know what it is about them at the moment, that they, it just feels like they can't sort of come back from those holes, right? They've taken a series of punches and they're sort of just going down for the count right now because there were opportunities for them to win this game against the Bucks. Now, Giannis went crazy, okay? I mean, Giannis went absolutely nuts. Giannis scored 47 points in this game. He only missed five shots. And if you could hear that wonderful noise in the background, my cat figured right now, right now, right now is the perfect time to be Spaceman Dave in her tunnel. So we're just all out here working together, trying to be a harmonious household. Harmonious, not harmonious. Harmonious household. As I sit here and record this episode to share with you guys. Giannis missed five shots in this game, 18 of 23. And he made his free throws, 8 of 11 from the free throw line. It's another thing with the Lakers, not getting into the foul line at all. Again, so many thoughts about this team right now. I'm going to do my best to try to keep it all connected. But right now, I'm just in sort of this stream of consciousness mode in which the Lakers need to be able to identify the issues on the fly because they don't have a lot of time to adjust. Now, before we dive into this game beyond the ridiculous performance from Giannis, I just do want to give a shout out to Taylor Horton Tucker. THT has been awesome since he's come back. And not to be lost in all of this talk about Alex Caruso and whatever the Lakers contract offer was or was not to him and his success in Chicago and obviously the Bulls beating, beating up on the Lakers the other night, it all adds to the fuel. But not to be lost in this is that basically the Lakers chose to re-sign Taylor Horton Tucker at the expense of Alex Caruso. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, There is no comparison between these two players, both in terms of their current talent and future trajectories, not to mention their ages. 
Taylor Horton Tucker was born in the year 2000. He is about to have his 21st birthday, November 25th, as a matter of fact. That's ridiculous. I'm not that old. I'll be 33 in a couple of months. I'm not old at all. THC is a kid, man. Especially when I work with high school kids. He's closer to their age than mine. That's what makes you feel it. But getting back to the basketball, he's been phenomenal. First three games, he scored 70 points. He's averaging almost 24 points a game. 23 and a third a game with 70 points across three games. It's quick math for you. He's been efficient from the field. We're hovering right at 50%, basically. He's been hitting threes. From three-point land, what is he? Eight of 20, 40% clip. Eight of 20. He's hitting his free throws. All 12 attempts he's made. He's rebounding the basketball. Averaging over seven rebounds a game. Stealing the basketball. Only averaging two turnovers a game. I mean, the guy has been phenomenal. He's been absolutely wonderful. And that's a point of optimism for this Lakers team. That's how sorely they needed him, not only on this team, in terms of his positional uh, versatility and in terms of what he brings to the table. Because he could play the one, two, or three for this team with his length. But they just needed somebody who can play heavy minutes, a young young guy who could play heavy minutes. Now, the good news is we sort of buried the lead here, okay? Like I said, we got so much to talk about. And if you've ever heard me go on these solo shows, you know it sort of goes on tangents from time to time, but it always stays connected in terms of the overall thought here. We buried the lead. LeBron, LeBron James, supposed to be returning to the Lakers lineup. Supposedly returning to the Lakers lineup on Friday, and won't that be a welcome return? LeBron obviously has been out since November 2nd. So better part of two weeks, almost three weeks now. That Mr. James has been on the sidelines. When LeBron went down, the Lakers were 4-2. So since he's gone down, as of the time this is recording, it's been 4-6. That tells you a couple things. One is LeBron is still very important to this team. The era after LeBron still leaves something to be desired. And if they did not have LeBron on this team, I cannot imagine a construct in which Westbrook would have necessarily been the choice to pair with Anthony Davis. But that's not a take for this podcast because that's a whole different topic. But needless to say, LeBron is still important to this team. And as this team moves forward with him, I'm curious to see how it impacts THT. Obviously, he's not going to be asked to do quite as much offensively. But he'll still have to remain engaged in the game. And defense, like he even has admitted recently, is where he's going to have to make his money. It's all guaranteed at the NBA, but you know what I mean. Wouldn't that be nice? Life-changing money. Philanthropists, well-to-do financial listeners, we're always looking for sponsors. I'm always looking for opportunities to collaborate with you to help enhance your wealth and build my own. I wouldn't be in marketing if I didn't make a pitch for myself, right? So that's how we do it here. Now, we praise THT. We've talked about LeBron's return a little bit. Let's get into this game. Giannis just slapped the Lakers upside the head. That's exactly what happened. No resistance for him inside whatsoever. Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan played a combined 13 minutes in this game. They were basically invisible. Anthony Davis has been playing almost all of his minutes at center right now. And you know, let's talk about that for a minute. 
Because I thought Anthony Davis's post-game commentary was his worst moment as a Laker. And I know you're sitting there listening like, wow, wait, what? I felt like it came from nowhere. I honestly thought it was his worst moment as a Laker. Now, what I'm accustomed to is great players who go out there, score 40 points, pull down 20 rebounds, have a game for the ages. The team loses, and they sit there and say, yeah, it's on me. I got to do better. Everybody knows that it's not on him. But as a leader of the team, he takes it because he's the leader of the team. Anthony Davis did not do that after this game. In fact, he deflected a lot of blame. Kind of kicked the role players down a little bit as well. He did not assume the responsibility, did not understand the assignment. And the optics, everybody's favorite word, does not look good. Now, maybe he's a little frustrated. Over his last two games, he's only had 24 shots combined field goal attempts. And he's 15 of 24. Okay, AD needs to get the ball more. If Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis in the last two games, and I realize he was ejected from the game versus Chicago, so, okay, I understand that has an impact. But in the last two games, Anthony Davis averaged 19 points, seven, seven rebounds, seven and a half rebounds. That's not going to get it done. That is just not going to get it done for this Lakers team, especially without LeBron. And, man, the Lakers got to get to the foul line. Now, I think the Lakers have been getting screwed by officials pretty much all year. The officiating, again, you've heard me say it before. I'm just going to say it again. It's been horrific in the league this year. But I really feel like the Lakers have really been getting screwed quite a bit. And in terms of what it looks like, well, they're not doing themselves any favors. And the reason is because they still play way too much basketball that's completely oriented on the perimeter. Without the ability to attack the basket consistently, they're not going to be able to get the benefit of the doubt from the referees. So as soon as they commit to doing that on a consistent basis, I feel like they're going to start getting to the foul line more often. I hope LeBron's turn brings about the return of more pick and rolls. I don't understand why that's more of not more of the default on offense. Everything the Lakers get, they have to work so incredibly hard for. And they've had some level of success just because of the pure talent on the team. And that's sort of what I mean. And that this team can't be more than some of its parts right now. Like the reason that they win, when they win, is because of talent, not because of cohesion. And over the course of a complete season, that's a really hard way to play. And have consistent success. Speaking of consistent success, Carmelo Anthony over the last five games has not been what he was during his hot streak. In fact, over the last five games, Melo's averaging about 10 points per game on about 10 shots per game. His three-point shot has gone MIA. Unfortunately, he's not wearing a Heat jersey. Otherwise, that would make a lot more sense. In this context, it does not because he has not been effective. With THT's return, basically, it has relegated Kent Bazemore to doing his more traditional towel-waving role. He did make a cameo against the Bucks in 11 minutes and managed to jack up five shots without scoring a point. So there is that. Lakers are going to have to figure it out. 
Obviously, getting LeBron back with THT is a major step in the right direction. But again, I, I'm concerned that injuries to THT and Trevor Ariza are what everybody keeps saying is, ah, have patience. Like, I'm patient with this team, and I think they're going to hit their stride. Like I said, there's so much change in this roster. They haven't had the ability to practice together, let alone play together. But the schedule's not going to get easier for them. And again, I'm just going to repeat something that I've said consistently. I, I don't think the Lakers are just built to be outright better than any team, especially those that have the chemistry and are capable of being greater than the sum of its parts, in particular a team like the Golden State Warriors. By the way, Klay Thompson about to start playing 5-on-5. Five five. It's pretty incredible. We haven't seen Klay Thompson play basketball in a long time. Finally. The Lakers are coming off arguably their two best games of the year versus Charlotte. I almost said the Bobcats. Wow. Versus Charlotte and against Miami. That game against Miami, I was at that game, as you all know, and that was just sick. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And the Lakers came out and farted a big-ass dud against the Wolves. And there's really not a better way to say that, which reminds me of a great teaching story. One time I was teaching sixth grade math and science. In the school that I taught at at the time, we had a cohort system. I had four different classes of sixth graders with four different ability levels. And, you know, you got to differentiate for each one as they're all ready for slightly different things. Teaching is a performance art, by the way. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. It's incredible. The fact that we don't pay our teachers, but we tell our kids that education is valuable, it's the greatest misalignment in society. Might be a little bit of a hyperbole there, but nonetheless, it's completely out of whack. So I'm teaching this lesson, a, a, a version of a lesson for the third time in the course of two days. And I say, all right, guys, we're going to draw a big old circle. But what I really wanted to say is a big-ass circle all on the board. And one of my students at the time, we'll call her E, she said, Mr. Noroff, what'd you say? I said, a big old circle. And she's like, I don't think so. <laughs> and we laughed and laughed and laughed. And to this day, it's still funny. Much like the time I got up on top of the table and taught my sixth graders what methane was in the form of cow farts. If you make it memorable, learning is fun. That's the point, right? I'm supposed to enjoy this stuff. I tell people all the time, I don't want to create a generation of students that was kind of like my generation where we were just pushed to work hard no matter what. Take the APs, take the honors, challenge yourself for the purpose of challenging yourself. Build your resume that was ultimately just for whatever college you wanted to go to that had very little, more likely than not, to do with what you chose to do professionally thereafter. And as a result, a lot of us became burnt out and learned to hate the learning process. I don't want my students to learn to hate learning. I want them to learn to love it as an investment in themselves for the current, for the future. Always. Anyway. The Lakers are going to have some challenges because Trevor Ariza is not going to be back for a while. There is no magic bullet coming to fix this team. There is no quick fix here. The Lakers are who they are. 
They need time to build cohesion with each other, but they are who they are in terms of the personnel. Now, I think it'll change slightly, right? I think they're going to rely on these guys to play heavy minutes. They have to right now. When LeBron comes back, I'm sure his minutes will be managed to some extent, but they're going to rely on Russell Westbrook to play heavy minutes. Frank Vogel said Russell Westbrook played his best game as a Laker versus the Bucks. Westbrook had 19 points and 15 assists with only three turnovers and was a plus three in this game. So there's certainly an argument to be made. But with Russ's speed, I just don't understand why he doesn't attack the basket so much for this team. Like the whole point of playing Anthony Davis at the five. And we'll get back to him in his post, his post-game presser. The whole game of playing Anthony Davis, the whole point, excuse me, of playing Anthony Davis at the five is to space the floor and open things up for Russ. So as a result of that, Russ, buddy, my friend, my man, my guy, I need you to hit the hole. And LeBron, same thing, man. I mean, I know LeBron, I know you're a little bit older, bro. Talking to these guys like I know them now, it's my personal appeal, so feel me on this. My man, I know you're a little bit older, and I know the perimeter game is going to be more and more integrated into what you do, and that's all fine and good, but once in a while, you got to remind them that you're still the king. You can wear the crown. You got to dunk it on their heads or at least try. And there's been times, like I said last time, where LeBron has looked human, but he's got to show that that's a threat, and that's just going to continue to open things up. I just hope that the Lakers stop playing this isolation perimeter basketball constantly because it's maddening to watch. To go back to the Anthony Davis presser, I just was so unimpressed with what he said. He just felt like he was not accepting any of the responsibility. It was just weird. He was like, yeah, Malik Monk missed some. Wayne Ellington missed some. Like, he's right. They were a combined two of 14 from three. He's right. He's not wrong. I'm not saying that, like, sitting here arguing that he's factually incorrect. All I'm saying is as the leader of this team right now on the court, especially with LeBron James' sideline, Everybody's looking at you to give to give an answer. And that's the one that you go with? It's not it. I'm, I'm sure he's frustrated about getting nine shots in this game. Or sorry, nine made shots in this game. 15 overall. Fewer shots than THT, one fewer than Russell Westbrook. But the third most on the team. Lakers took 96 shots in this game. It's actually incredible. One, two, three. They had five guys take double-digit shots in this game. You know how many guys shot over uh, 50% of those five? Two. That's, that's the story of the game right there, besides Giannis going absolutely berserk. And Bobby Portis, man. I mean, shout-out to Bobby Portis. He's found a home in Milwaukee. I love stories like that, but he's really found a home and a role in Milwaukee. And I love seeing that for him. But the story of this game in terms of the Bucs was Giannis. Even with the win, the Bucs, the reigning champs, were only 7-8. and eight. All right, it's been, it's been a weird year so far. Everybody's sort of figuring it out. Everybody's trying to determine what their next steps are going to be. Everybody's trying to see how it's going to go for their teams. Lakers just have the spotlight because it's LeBron, it's AD, it's Westbrook, it's Carmelo. It's a lot of star power here. The Lakers, it's not a question of are the Lakers going to make the playoffs. It's a question of how far can the Lakers go in the playoffs. But even when you look up and down this conference right now, okay, 
The Warriors sit atop. But the Warriors, the Suns, the Jazz, the Mavs, the Nuggets, the Clippers, these are the teams ahead of the Lakers. Do you think the Lakers would lose to any of those teams in a seven-game series? Assuming the Lakers continue to improve with the normal trajectory of an NBA team as they play together over the course of a season, do you think the Lakers are going to lose a seven-game series to those, to those teams? I mean, there's an argument to be made. Of course, obviously, they lost to the Suns last year, but that's with an AD injury, and the construct of the teams have changed since that time. Like, there's an argument, but like, really against the Clippers? Really against the Mavericks? Even the Nuggets, especially without Jamal Murray. Especially without Michael Porter Jr., who, yikes. From a Nuggets fan, I'm super worried about Michael Porter Jr. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. I've been adamant for a long time that MPJ would always be the most valuable to that team as a trade chip and not a building block. I hope I'm wrong. I looked wrong before. I hope I, I hope I look wrong again. Anyway, as the Lakers move forward, as they as they move forward as a team, both in terms of their schedule and the cohesion, it's not going to get any easier. Big time road trip. Four more games on the road for the Lakers. But it's just the whole season. I mean, it's 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 the type of NBA season where teams are are good. There's more parity than we've seen. That's the reality. That's the reality. And so as we go forward with this Lakers team, we're going to have to be reminded that it is what it is in terms of their growth. There's going to be growing pains until they're able to get their full complement of players. We're never going to see what this team is really capable of doing. And hopefully we get to see that version of this team. Hopefully it doesn't break down. Because for as many big names they have, it's those that are on the peripheral that are going to make the difference in terms of if they can get this team over the hump. They're still going to be carried by LeBron, Westbrook, and AD, of course. But those supporting players, Melo, Monk, THT, Ellington, Rondo, Reeves, all these guys, Kendrick Nunn, get healthy. All these guys are going to be important in terms of what they could potentially bring to the table and how they could help this team. Lakers are built to be a team of offense. They have to be able to outscore. And they have to be able to play good enough defense. My biggest concern for these Lakers right now is this is a team that feels like it relies on a lot of ifs to get everything done. If this, if that, if this, if that. It's a hard way to project forward. Nonetheless, the star power is there. AD, LeBron, Westbrook. I believe the cohesion will come. I believe this Lakers team will hit its stride. But in the interim, it's going to be a flight that carries a lot of turbulence. You can always rock out with me on the Hoopball Lakers pod. I appreciate you guys listening. Follow me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Noroff. N-O-R-O-F. Only one F in that beautiful last name. You follow the show on Twitter at Hoopball Lakers. You follow the whole Hoopball family at Hoopball Tweets at Hoopball Fantasy. And until next time, I'm out.